Hello, it's Greg Perry for The Historic Preservationist. Today's episode, we are going to be uh, wrapping our mind around New Jersey's oldest colonial tavern, 1669. In 2019, it celebrated its 350th anniversary. Imagine it, a white oak timber frame structure surviving intact in southern New Jersey. So we're going to explore a lot of details of this, who, uh, who built it, why he built it, um, what the tavern represented, and uh, a name. But let's, uh, let's get to where did this information come from? Uh, when I first was introduced to the Samuel Shivers house, it was stripped of many of its details back in the 1940s. And everything was put away in crates and boxes. And um, until a few years ago, when I was presented with 12 diaries um, from John and Samuel Shivers, complete with inventories and some other business records of tavern life. And this has shed uh, just a broad expanse of historical wealth to this dwelling, and it will for years to come, of the South Jersey area. So let us, uh, let us get underway, and let's go back into tavern life in uh, what was now Salem County, New Jersey. It was called Sign of the Key Tavern, um, and there was a, a time when John Shivers uh, meant the famed Thomas Tompion in England on a return trip. Thomas Tompion was known as the father of time, one of the most important horologists, which means clockmaker, in the history of um, modern-day engineering. And uh, Tompion's studio or his uh, studio and boutique, his workshop, was called Sign of the Key. And Shivers, in a low-key sign, had two cross keys on the front of his tavern, which was located at routes where routes 40 and 45 are today, and actually where um, the establishment called the Corner Bar in Woodstown now stands. So, so let us begin. Let us go back. Sign of the Key Tavern, New Jersey's oldest colonial tavern, Celebrating 350 years, 1669 to 2019. And I'm going to extend a little further. There's a vast difference in early tavern life in the 17th century through the first quarter of the 18th century, maybe up until 1750s, of what was a tavern, what was an alehouse. Now, on King's Highway, in there's a few farmhouses back in the day, in the, the mid-18th century, that are today called taverns. They were not taverns, they were alehouses. They were houses that secured licenses from the Quakers, basically, to sell certain beverages on the weekends or certain hours during the week. These were alehouses. These, for the most part, were not serving full meals. They were not establishments for the public to meet 
all week long, nor were there places for the public to, to um, you know, secure the night or have their horses boarded. So these were part-time affairs for um, a lot of people that were having money woes. They could get their license and, 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 and help their financial situation out. And I think this has been highly distorted by people in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s in the last century by calling certain dwellings taverns, and they were not in the strictest definition of the world. The sign of the key tavern, which was located at Riz 40 and 45, was that tavern, the first and oldest in the state of New Jersey, comprising the first cage bar and the first drive-up window for horse or carriage alike. In and about around 1650, John Shivers arrived in what is now what was known then as West Jersey from Monkstown, Ireland, a monastery castle, we believe located 19 or so miles southeast of Dublin. Shivers was granted thousands of acres of land by the King of England with the purpose of selling real estate to those who would build communities in West Jersey. Shivers' reward for being a seller of land, called a realtor, possibly, was 50 acres of his own property. He chose to be where the present day Woodstown, New Jersey. So when we see signs of Woodstown, New Jersey, 1720, Woodstown wasn't Woodstown then, and John Shivers was there first, owning all the land. On a knoll, with the aid of the Lenny Lenape Indians, these Native Americans constructed a dovetailed, ended, two-room log cabin where today would be 68 North Main Street in Woodstown, New Jersey decreed as the Woodstown Historic District. A remnant of this cabin was found in the crawl space. One of the dovetails, actually three dovetails ends were found, badly consumed by woodworms, termites, and rot, and, and uh, damp rot. And these components have been out for archaeological studies. So what happened in general, John Shivers granted land, comes to the area, settles down at near 68 North Main Street, builds a cabin. And in general, what happens is he's having a difficult time moving or selling land. And he thinks back to the days of the public house in London and in Dublin and he saw how real estate transactions were transpiring. So he felt, number one, he could make money by opening a tavern, and two, it could be a real estate-type office, believe it or not. And this is what happened. In 1669, Shivers created a small hamlet around his cabin of furriers and tradesmen and the development of his own sawmill on what would become Woodstown Lake. So he moved from North Main Street, south, down Main Street, to the lake in Woodstown, 
where the spillway is today. And that was John Shivers' sawmill. And there's a house just adjacent to the road, uh, which was just recently sold, I believe, in 2019, a very small house, a two-and-a-half-story house. And uh, John Shivers had some of the people still working in that house that was, were running the sawmill for him in the early 1720s, and that was transferred over to, to John Shivers, or uh, Samuel Shivers, rather, rather. So land sales for uh, John Shivers were very slow until 1669, when uh, he built the intersection or the first colonial tavern in New Jersey where the corner bar now rests at the intersections of Route 40 and 45. Shivers meant, as we just said, Thomas Tompion in London, on and about and around possibly Pudding Lane. And Pudding Lane in... uh, Putting Lane in London in that 17th century um, was kind of on the borderline where obviously you'd find maybe bakeries, Pudding Lane. And also it was the beginning of the horological section where all the great 17th or pre-17th century clock and watchmakers, horologists were located. And uh, just a side note, most of these burned up in the Great Fire of London. So how tragic is this? So me, as an antiquarian horological researcher and preservationist, um, has a very difficult time finding pre-1700 tall case clocks, particularly with marquetry. Most of them burned up if they weren't in castles on the outskirts of London. So Tompion, Thomas Tompion, is known as the father of time and the development of timekeeping in general. He was the timekeeper to all the great kings. And his protégés, George Graham, right up into, uh, which I'm sure you've, uh, many people have listened to the, uh, the uh, episode with John Harrison. So John Harrison, Tompion to George Graham to John Harrison. While conversing with Tompion in, in front of his establishment, which was known as a sign of the key, Shivers decided to build his own tavern to mimic life inside the latest London coffee houses as a successful blueprint for societal gatherings. Um, And remember, societal gatherings in a tavern, the world revolved around taverns. There were no social gatherings. There were no malls to go to. There were no stores. Everything happened at the tavern. If you didn't have a tavern... You lived on a house or on a farm or in a cabin or a lean-to or something. So everything revolved around the cavern. If, if any mail was received by anyone in the, the, uh, the hinderlands, it would have come in from Ryder to the tavern in that area and probably once a week. And if you needed to mail something to London, to Philadelphia, to New York, it would come. Propaganda or news pamphlets, pamphleteers would drop off their pamphlets And all this would be held in the cage bar for safekeeping and put under a slide that you could access at certain times of the week. Uh, The tavern was used uh, in the beginning, back in the 17th century, for religious services, for all local political meetings, uh, for really important situations in the 18th century, for militia meetings, whether it be militia of the the crown or of the, the colonials. 
Um, so tavern life would embody eating and drinking and normally shut down somewhere around 9 p.m. And it must remember that uh, most people were drinking beer, hard ale, alcohol-based beverages because the water was highly contaminated. So even young infants, if not drinking their mother, mother's milk, were drinking some kind of alcoholic beverage right from the start. So there was a lot of alcoholism, believe it or not, but there wasn't much of a choice, quite frankly. So the taverns would tend to shut down around 9 p.m. and the, the, the cage on the cage bar would come down and be locked solidly because alcohol was the most sought after commodity for theft back then. So the two and a half story two bay tavern was of primary timber frame construction utilizing a white oak skeleton. This utilized mortise and tenon joints, wooden pegs, dovetails, and used by itinerant makers that would roam the countryside and see uh, to aid and abet in the building of structures and they move on to the next. And on the outside, the external shiplap clabbered or siding was of local cedar. So all of the timber that was used for the sign of the key tavern, New Jersey's oldest colonial tavern, was milled on Woodstown Lake on the sawmill where the, the spillway now stands. The flooring was out of wide plank, white pine. The timbers were cut in silver sawmill utilizing the pit saw technique. And it basically he employed Native Americans. He had a great relationship with Native Americans. At any one time for 25 years, John Shivers uh, employed at least five Native Americans. And when we say employed, a lot of this was on the barter system. You know, incoming English goods that he was procuring would be traded for uh, Native American work. And what was lacking in this early tavern sitting on Route 40 and 45 was fenestration. So fenestration windows. Windows were expensive. Windows were taxed by the number of lights or panes in the window. The size of the overall double hung sash and the size of the window panes themselves. So in a tavern which is serving alcohol, you want to have a minimum number of windows, particularly in a royal outpost such as what we're talking here. Maybe a bit different in the city, the city tavern in Philadelphia, but in this royal outpost, you want minimal windows for break-ins. Um, this dwelling, this tavern, had one front window next to the adjacent door. And uh, it was 12 over 12 lights, double hung, and two windows were above it in the front of the tavern. So the front of the tavern had three windows and the one uh, drive-up window on the side for curbside service. The front door of the tavern, still there, the original front door was put away 265 years ago in a wooden crate. It's back on hinges at the sign of the key at 68 North Main Street at the Shivers House Museum. And it was a wainscot design with peen nails, and it was hanging on two 30-inch iron strap hinges, 
with a crab-style lock, which still is working. On the south side of the tavern, next to the massive external chimney, which fuels the wide hearth fireplace, which would have had one or two Native Americans cooking for tavern-goers early on, it was a six-over-six sash, approximately only 20 by 30 inches. This was locked in the wall with sheetrock and clabbered when I began the restoration of the house, and to my surprise, opening up, voila, here it is. The sash opened into New Jersey's first and now oldest cage bar. Hence, this is the first drive-up service window in the state. This style of convenience pickup would be mimicked over the next 150 years by several alehouses in the surrounding counties and tri-state area. The downstairs of the tavern is generally composed of two rooms. The hearth room, which you op- open or you come in through the front, and the cage bar room. The hearth room is about 11 feet by, the hearth is about 11 feet by 3 feet deep by 5 feet high in opening, and it contains two mobile cranes. The back firebox bricks are laid in the classic herringbone style. A a tavern hearth of this this dimension would allow the cook to have multiple small fires in the firebox while utilizing many pans with, or spider type pans. And you can see this, and there's there's a series uh, put out by the, uh, the, uh, the the tavern in Philadelphia, the City Tavern, Walter Stabe. He's the owner and the curator and the chef, and and Walter has a great run of videos, and he shows how to cook on this type, and he does a lot of cooking at Monticello and and Mount Vernon, um, so these are good for references for any anybody out there that has. Um, you know, this type of, uh, this type of fireplace. The cage bar is a restored version of the original. Um, the ori- this is the original, and it was put away in a box, and it was heavily damaged with black mold and, and vermin and other things, and it's been cleaned up and re-hand planed and reinstalled where it was originally. And the great thing about this is we can see the, where the original cage bar of this one, nails line up with nail holes in the floor on the outer wall and the dividing wall. So these are great indicators um, that, that help us locate and identify and authenticate situations inside of the house. The room would contain no other windows, again, due to security issues for alcohol was the prize commodity of the era. The tender of the bar would simply would supply beverages, primarily local ale and cider. And this was a, a country bar, and that's what they were putting out. Very, very little wine was here. Wine just began to be served, according to the Shivers, uh, to John Shivers diary, um, just around uh, 1701. He was having a version of French wine and some wine made outside of Chester County. So again, the primary beverages in the beginning were ale and hard cider. And as, um, again, as we went to the, the, this past 1700, uh, became some French wine was available. The right side of the bar served as a location for 
pamphlets, and any correspondence that was brought in by the weekly writer. Um, in addition, there was a, a lean-to-style lean stable, which was attached to the back of the tavern, which in actual fact is now the front of the tavern, that was used to board the patron's horses. Um, the beast would be kept and fed for the night. So the, the process is, or the, the thought is, a horse generally lasted for about eight miles, give or take. So you could actually come to this tavern, say from Salem, from another tavern, and you could exchange horses for a fee and then take your horse another eight miles to the next tavern, board it, exchange horses. So it was like picking up a new rental car at the tavern. Or you could spend the night and your horse would be boarded and fed under a lean-to. For the price of about one cent a day, um, a patron could have his choice of a tankard of ale or hard cider and a plate of whatever the main entree of the day was, as well as an option to spend the night on the floor of the second, uh, of the second story. And uh, generally, the entree of the day was the only entree. There was only one thing being served. It could be mutton, it could be rabbit, um, it could be chicken, but it was one thing. Porridge, porridge was a staple. Um, so you didn't have a lot of choices. Essentially, you would come in the front wainscot door. And because this was primarily built in the beginning as a Indian-style trading post of furs and um, possible promotion of real estate transactions, you would have had somebody sitting at a grand table, like a bench table, uh, to buy furs, to sell furs, and to take your order. Do you want to board for the night? Do you want to board your horse? Do you want to have ale or, or a beverage? And do you want to have the entree? So the tavern on, on the second floor um, utilizes wide plank boards, primarily northeastern white pine, that are horizontally wrapped around the two rooms upstairs. A very scant stairway to the left of the front door, once coming in, went upstairs. And there was a choice of two rooms, and it was a different price. The one room had a very large bed, could probably accommodate up to six, maybe eight, patrons. So here you are coming in. There's no heat upstairs. And this is crude by crude living. It's a rope bed, um, probably corn cob hus or in forming a mattress. And you're sleeping next to, to four or five or six other people. You have no idea. And I'm sure nobody's clean, but everybody's fully clothed when they're sleeping. And you're given a burlap blanket to go up and wrap around yourself. So body heat was essential. But this was the luxury sleeping at the sign of the key tavern, at John Shiver's Tavern, the oldest tavern in the state of New Jersey. The other room, for half the price, you would be sleeping on the floor. So sleeping on the floor, that room could accommodate up to maybe 15 patrons. But I think rarely was there ever more than six, eight patrons spending the night in the tavern, generally speaking. So... Um, in this tavern, activity, would, as we said, typically shuts down around 9 p.m. Um, by that time, if you had some tavern goers there for several hours, some rowdiness could occur. There was a lot of song, a lot of yelling, a lot of shouting. The tavern owner had really tried to maintain what was going on because even though this was a royal tavern, it still was the beginning of 
word of mouth to come there and a reputation was at stake and you don't want any other people in the countryside thinking that it was a rowdy, unsafe place to be because of some of the tavern goers. So the owner had a big responsibility of keeping things quiet and in order for the most of the time and shutting down around 9 p.m. And a lot of the tavern owners and operators were women. They were widows. And why was this? Is because they were considered excellent housekeepers and probably good with keeping money around the house. And uh, so this is why probably the second generation, but not so much in the Shivers, uh, this John Shivers Tavern, The Sign of the Key, but in subsequent taverns up until about the 1840s, women were the primary runners or owners of taverns. So, um, And in, in addition, they wanted to shut down the taverns you know, around 9 o'clock because of the high cost of candles. Candles was one of the, the large, beside alcohol, was one of the large uh, expenses of running a tavern. So if you could shut down by 9 o'clock, blow out all the candles, um, you're saving money for the owner or for the operator. The last five years of John Shiver's tenure as uh, the tavern owner, he actually lived in the top floor of the tavern, again, located at Routes 40 and 45. Uh, he abandoned the earlier constructed and decaying log cabin. So five years before his death, he moves down to the tavern because he's old, his tavern is decaying from rot, vermin, worms, and he's not upkeeping his cabin at 68 North Main Street where the Shivers House Museum now stands. So Shivers passed away on the land that the old cabin was on um, and, and willed it to his only son, Samuel. In 1724, Samuel again, with the help of Native Americans, and the pit saw at the mill on Woodstown Lake proceeded to mill and construct a townhouse in the latest Georgian style on the footprint of the now raised log cabin. So where the cabin was falling apart, John Shivers, the last five years of his life, goes to live above the tavern. And then his son Samuel Shivers starts to, to take the land, they clear away the, ta- the uh, log cabin, and start to build um, the Samuel Shivers house, the midsection, which is, which it is today. Samuel was, at this point, uh, working with his father in, in, as a mercantile for the, for, um, for the tavern, but he was also importing other goods for the tavern industry, uh, you know, wines and foods and things that people needed to run taverns, um, supplies, cooking supplies, things like that, from England. So he was making a lot of money. So this procurement of supplies um, made him very, very wealthy. Um, And Samuel Shivers, he had actually made three ocean crossings to England and two to France for business purposes. And through this experience, he created a mindset and brought with him um, this great wealth and, and also a, a disdain for the rough and crude type tavern life that he kind of grew up around with his father. So when, when John Shivers, the father, passed away in 1726, um, John bequeathed the tavern and land to Samuel. By this time, Samuel had two children, and the center third of 68 North Main Street today had become too small. With the bequest of the tavern and the possibility of saving money on new construction, 
Samuel moved New Jersey's oldest tavern from Route 40s and 45. He moved the building and joined it to the south end of the Georgian townhouse at 68 North Main Street. This was accomplished by three Native Americans, two oxen, and a sled wagon. Each component of the tavern was disassembled, each timber frame component disassembled, labeled, and moved, and then reassembled to the center portion as we see it today of 68 North Main Street. Once the tavern was added to the existing mansion, and this was known as a mansion in the day, and there were so many trees in western Jersey or all of what we consider South Jersey today, if it continued, say, to Florida, a squirrel could climb on the top canopy of the trees and never touch ground. That's how heavily wooded in first-generation first growth there was. And this small, quote, mansion of the day was peering its head up in uh, what would later become Woodstown in 1720. So once the tavern was added to the existing mansion, a back pair of sash were added in what would be, have been the back of the tavern on the first floor and another pair added on the second floor. So when they joined the tavern up, it didn't have windows in the back, but now the back of the tavern is the front of what would become the Shivers house. So they added win windows to make, or a double hung sash to make a proportion. Today, the tavern section of the Shivers house museum has been faithfully restored to authentic conditions of the original sign of the key. In 2019, Celebrate with us New Jersey's oldest colonial tavern, 350 years strong, and moving into the next 50. Please follow us on this podcast and Instagram as the sympathetic restoration of the rest of the Shivers House Museum continues.